from the Esquire Lounge in downtown Champaign, it's the second hour of Sports Talk here on News Talk 1493.9 FM, WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Featuring the News Gazette sports writers, Matt Daniels, Bob Ospison, and Scott Ritchie, delivering the latest insights on the Illini and more. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Now, live from the Esquire Lounge on Walnut Street in downtown Champaign, here are the News Gazette sports writers and your host, Steve Kelly. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Monday Night Sports Talk on a Monday night. For a change, we're back on our regular Monday night. Happy holidays to you. Indeed, we are live at the Esquire in downtown Champaign. Matt Daniels is here, Scott Ritchie, Bob Osmussen, Ed Bond, yours truly, and our special guest uh, tonight is Chris Thomas. Come on up, Chris, the Illini volleyball coach. Unfortunately, the uh, season came to an end last week, but a pretty good season it was. And Chris is going to kind of recap uh, that season now that he's had a little time to, to think about how things went. 22 and 12 overall into the NCAA tournament again for the fourth time in five years. Have you gone back yet and, and just kind of thought about how things went? Uh, they went well. Uh, okay, yeah, I went. Oh, sorry, there we go. It uh, went well. We, you know, Sweet 16 is nothing, nothing to scoff at, especially when we were picked to finish seventh in the Big Ten. We did finish seventh in the Big Ten, and uh, but as everyone knows, it's the toughest conference, and you know you get get to the tournament, and the challenge is then to do some damage, and and we're able to do some. And and uh, West uh, West Virginia was a good opponent, and then Kentucky was uh, you know defending champ and SEC champion, and uh, you know we just said, hey, we just this is make this our game and take it to them, and. And we did, and and I, I don't think some of the people close to us were shocked that we won, but I think they were shocked at how bad we beat them. So, uh, good to see that. And then you know, the last game is what it was. We, you know, Megan was out sick, and uh, that's a big piece to drop. So it, uh, we we fought like heck, but it was just a little not enough uh, firepower to go against Nebraska. And Nebraska went on to the Final Four. They so did. That's, yep. uh, that's certainly uh, not a disgrace to lose to a pretty yep. good Big Ten team. And then, Chris, you mentioned you alluded to with, with Megan Cooney. Uh, when did you guys find out she was not going to be able to play? And then what were those next 24 to 48 hours like for you and the coaching staff trying the, to yeah, come up with a plan? Literally found out right before we were supposed to leave, and uh, we were in the middle of practice. Happy flight. Yeah, happy <laughs> flight, yeah. yeah. So we had about 24 hours to figure out the lineup we were going to go with and had some other players injured. So we had to take Kennedy and move her to opposite, and she was one of our best medals this year. And uh, put in Maddie, who had played some middle this year, but it, the passing lineups changed and everything else. So we practiced them before, but it was never introduced in a game uh, over the course of the year. So it, it is what it is, and uh, you know it's it's unfortunate that that's the way it ended. But at the same time, we were happy that we were there, and like I said, I'm still happy with the way we competed. No one, no one, no one uh, thought twice. We just went after it, and and uh, that's that's the way we approached the whole season. Playing without. Playing without you know, Megan Cooney in the Sweet 16 match, did it kind of give you a glimpse of what things will be moving forward? Maybe kind of how you might need to piece things together uh, in 2022. Yeah, and we knew she was going to be leaving after this season anyway. So uh, you know, when you when you take a piece like that, usually that's like you know, Megan was her five years in the making, really, and she started as a three rotation opposite uh, during the COVID season, and even before then, she was in our passing lineup. So it took her about three years to get to a spot where she was in the passing lineup. And 
we've been training Raina to, to play in that position as well, to get out there and play. Um, she had been playing six rotation, but not in the passing formation. Um, as all of you know, serving pass is a big deal. And so we need to, you need to make up for a lot of the production that she had. Um, but we're going to work like crazy in, in the winter and spring, and uh, they're going to work over the summer. We'll, before you know it, we'll, August will be here again and back to season. So, Coach ESPN did a great job showing all the matches Saturday night. Of course, you're coming off the disappointment. Did you watch those, or did you kind of like, eh, uh, we, yeah, we watched a few in the in the beginning in the in the morning rounds, and then we had practice and everything else before then. So we watched a few, but uh, this is the first time we played the late game in the previous years when we hosted here in '18. Uh, we were the early match. We were okay. playing the 10 a.m. So I kind of like that to get it out of the way and, and then go on the rest of your day. But, uh, uh, yeah, we had the late match, so just w what the schedule gave when, us. When you got home, did you watch the matches of Saturday, the regional um, finals or not? Not really. I got my family there in the back. So I said, wave hi. <laughs> You're like, nah. Yeah. You're we, good. We, we've been watching the volleyball through the course of the year, so we'd spent some time with the kids and uh, just hung out as a family. So I, I, we can go, I can go back and watch them whenever I want, and, and uh, we have a whole another film system that I can see from a coach's perspective too. So usually I watch them after the fact anyways. It's a pretty good field, though, at the Final Four, it looks like, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's two, two Big Ten teams, two right. ACC teams. Uh, Louisville's undefeated, and uh, there's only been five teams total that have, that have run the table. Um, we'll see if they can do it, but they got Wisconsin in their way. Wisconsin's, you know, Big Ten champ, and then Nebraska on the other side with Pitt. So a uh, little uh, Big Ten ACC challenge going on here. Who's got the best chance to, to uh, knock Louisville off, do you think? I, I think Wisconsin's got a good one. I mean, we played both those teams, obviously, in, in Wisconsin and Nebraska, and both of them have, you know, really they're big at the net. They got really good floor defense, um, something we all aim to do, but I, I think they've got, Wisconsin's got a ton of experience. A lot of those players came back for their fifth year. I think they had four or five players that came back for their fifth year just so they had a shot to win a, a national championship. Uh, a lot of those kids could have gone off and played pro. Dana Recchi, uh, Sidney Hilly, you know, they got, they got a nice core group, uh, but Louisville's playing great, so it's, it should be a good match. And on the other side, Pitt and, and Nebraska also should be well, a good match. Talking with Chris Thomas, wrapping up the volleyball season. Talk a little bit about the fan support that you got all season long, not only here at home, but also on the road, including in Austin. Yeah, it, it was great to have fans back. I mean, that COVID season was was weird, to say the least. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it's what the time called for. But to have people back in Huff and have you all back in Huff, it was, it was great to have. Great to have the chance going again. Uh, great to have the atmosphere. I know we're still a little bit... Uh, you know, some COVID regulation, we would have had some seats maybe a little closer to the court for Spike Squad and stuff like that. But uh, but it, it was just great to have fans back. And then, like you mentioned, we had fans travel through, throughout the whole season, uh, not just at the end there, but uh, throughout the whole Big Ten season, I saw fans in the stands. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, at the very end, DIA and, and University of Illinois flew out about 150 people, Spike Squad. and. Uh, it was just great to have that feel. It's like the Huff was brought into into Austin, so just really good to have that support and very appreciative of it. What was the weather like in Austin? Uh, it was uh, warmer than it was here. <laughs> <laughs> and, Coach, you mentioned you obviously you spent some time with the, the family catching up on, on some moments that you don't get to during the course of the season. But in your time here, you just wrapped up your fifth season. How have you maybe evolved or, or changed or kind of maybe even kept – the same approach for these next couple weeks to month. What what can you and the staff do right now on the calendar, or what are you guys going to do, you know, for the rest of December into January? And all? Yeah, this is kind of our, we have kind of due to two downtimes over the course of the season. Uh, one is right now, so right when we get past the final four, 
we got a couple weeks over Christmas break to kind of just chill out a little bit. And then the other was in May, uh, right after our recruiting season, before we ramp into camps. So those are kind of our two time frames. So right now it's just about hanging out with family and taking a breather. And then, uh, you know, recruiting always happens. The portal's hot as it is in lots of sports, uh, especially with the COVID rules. And you're starting going to start to see a lot of grad transfers and uh, people finishing out their fifth year, fifth year. So uh, we're looking and we're seeing if we can fill, you know, we're gonna have to replace Meg somehow, whether by training someone or finding someone. And and uh, I think we'd like to get another uh, DS libero in there as well to, to help with that. So uh, th those are the two positions we're looking for right now. I uh, feel pretty good about the other ones and, uh, you know, that they've stayed pretty healthy over the course of the year. Do you just tell your staff to stay away from Huff for a few <laughs> weeks? Does your wife have to tell you that no, too? No, no, I, I try to make it a point to, to be around the kids. And uh, I think the, the beauty of, of, of COVID, you know, we got to find the silver linings is that we realize we can work from home and it'd still be okay. You know, everything will still be fine. So I mean, we still go in the office to still go, obviously go to the gym and practice, but I come home and try to be with the kids and then pick up work again late, later at night, early in the morning. Do you play uh, volleyball with them? Uh, we do not. So we just went to the skateboard park. I did not skateboard today. Uh, and, you know, the kids on the swing and everything else. So we're, we like to be outside, and today was a good day to do it. Uh, you mentioned having to replace you know, Megan Cooney, and you have to do the same with Kylie Bruder, who's been a good server for you for several years now. Just But, you know, in terms of building off of the Sweet 16, just we'll have quite a few of your your players back. Just what are you what are you kind of looking at when you look at your 2022 roster? Yeah, I think the the important thing that we told that the team this last year is obviously we know we lose those two, uh, and but to have that experience is huge because if if you know you're there for the first time, you can get kind of you know this the bright lights and it's one and done and you can feel a, a certain way. But our team knows and we've had a lot of players that have known the feeling of being in the tournament. And this year was uh, specifically important because a lot of those players happened because uh, we didn't go this last, you know, COVID season. And then uh, in 19, it was just Diana and Kennedy that were that were in it. So, and TK, obviously. So it's good to get more experience in there and, and good to have that feeling again. And it keeps you dri driven and motivated uh, to get back there again. So it's good to have that experience. You mentioned you know players trying to figure out what to do with their COVID year of bonus eligibility. Taylor Cooper will be in that role. Just are you? What are your conversations like with her as she tries to maybe figure out what what's next? Yeah, they're open and honest, and it's just about one. Does she want to keep playing? Not not everyone wants to continue to play, and if she does want to play, you know, does she want a, a certain grad program? Uh, if they don't care about the grad program, is it location? You know, there's a whole bunch of things that go into that conversation and it won't just be with Taylor you know uh, well for this year Taylor but down the road it's going to be for the next three years you're going to have those conversations with those players but that's basically what what that conversation looks like I would like to keep everyone another year if they if they chose to but we got to go back to our scholarship limits uh, after this season I'm roaming around the audience here and uh, with the uh, Thomas family back here Jen and the three kids how are we all doing we're doing good we've got Josie Carly and Jimmy here any questions for uh, the coach from any of you guys? They want to know when their chicken and french fries are coming. <laughs> Order up. I've got a question for you, Jen. These three youngsters are under the age of what? They're uh, well, we've got a three-year-old, four-year-old, and seven-year-old. 
that's got to be a little bit uh, tough to manage uh, during the season, I would think, if not all, all the way around the calendar, but especially during the season as you're helping out coaching too. It's a handful, but I was thinking just the other day, when we went to the Final Four, we had a two-month-old, a one-year-old, and a three-year-old, so <laughs> time's a little easier now. <laughs> so does this seem like, uh, are you able to sit, are you ever able to sit back and, and kind of relax a little bit with three youngsters like that now that the season's over? We definitely get good family time. Uh, we, we fit it in, though. They're part of the volleyball family. Volleyball's a part of our family, and our family's a part of volleyball. So, you know, we, we blend it together, I think, nicely. Jen, does it help having been on the staff with Chris? So if he says, honey, I got I to gotta stay at the office for a few more hours, are you like, no, you don't. You, you need to come home <laughs> right now. Well, I can't say that doesn't happen from time to time. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the perfect woman, but uh, I'd have to say that when we've got a big recruit that we need to land, you know, if it's a different vibe when your wife is saying, go get her, <laughs> you know, because I'm a part of the process. You're just following what your wife says. Right? That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Happy wife, happy life. That's right. We'll see what we can do and get that uh, food order out for you. <laughs> Chris, are you one of those coaches that uh, before the start of a season, you, you write down some some team goals, uh, and if so, how close did you come to getting to those goals? You know, the, the, in terms of specific goals, I, I, that's always great to have. I think it goes without saying we want to win, we want to put banners up, and, and I think the biggest thing that I've learned over the course of the journey, of course, in my playing career, too, it's, you know, if it's all about winning, you know, then there's only going to be one coach and, and, you know, 12 to 16 players that are happy at the end of the year. So you can't always let that be that guy. Now, with that being said, we're, we're going to be happy when we win. But there's going to be years where you, you have a good run and then one of your players gets six and, 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 get, and is out. And you have a year like this year where it's just like you can't just be like really bummed about it. But I always look at where we start and where we finish. And if I feel like we improved from day one until the end of the season, I'm, I'm pretty happy about how the season went. And, uh, of course, we like to, you know, make it all the way till the end. But, you know, for a team that, that if I looked at film on day one and I, I go back to the first tournament at Mil, uh, Milwaukee where we played UCSB, Valparaiso, Milwaukee, and I think of the team that then shredded Kentucky, I'm like, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good season and that's a pretty good improvement over the course of, of the season. We do have the phone lines open, 217-356-9397. Let's go to the phones. Alan, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hi. I want to say I think the coach does a great job. Um, two questions. First one is, how is Ellie Holtzman's rehab coming? Uh, she's, she's doing good. Uh, you know, it's just day-by-day -day process for her. And, uh, that's pretty much all I can comment about. We'll take a break. We'll keep uh, Coach Thomas with us. A little more volleyball here on Monday Night Sports Talk at the Esquire. Stay with us. We're back with more after this. We are back at the Esquire on this Monday night, Monday Night Sports Talk, hour number two, the second hour of four straight sports-related hours on the air tonight. We've got this show followed by the Hoops Prep Confidential brought to you the, by the U of I Army ROTC. There you go. I, I was going to take the whole title for you, Steve, but you, you nailed it. I just did a, bit, a little bit backwards, yeah, but that's okay. okay. It's all right. We got everybody mentioned that needs yeah. to be mentioned. The ROTC will just come find you if hey, you don't get that's it That's right. right. So. I had that in mind. Um, <laughs> and then coming up at 7 o'clock, the Brad Underwood Show. So a lot of basketball talk uh, yet to come on the air tonight. Alan is back with us on the phone. Alan, you got another question? I did. Thanks for uh, staying on. 
Um, so I don't know a whole lot about volleyball. Well, one thing I've always wondered about is um, when we're out of system and we send a free ball over the net, we always seem to just kind of tap it over the net and it goes to their front line and it's almost like we're setting them up for their play. Why don't we at least try to uh, get it over the net to the back line deeper so at least they're a little more out of system than just putting it right in our lap? Am I on? Whoa, whoa, hello. Hey, hey, hot mic, hot mic. <laughs> yeah, it's a great I'll, I'll talk to my players about that. <laughs> okay. No, I, I, it's hard to tell. It's hard to know what you're asking about unless you give me an exact play. But we're always going to try to send as tough as ball as we can over the net when, whenever we can do it. So uh, it's, yeah, it's always the fine line of trying to go for it versus keeping it in play. And we got to trust your defense at certain time, time frames, too. So. It's uh, we, we don't like to send anything over easy. I like to stay aggressive when we can. If anyone watches our serving, they know that. And uh, so it's just it's it could be specific to the situation. And, and sometimes they're they're going to be easier than we like them to be. But uh, but yeah, that's that's the way it goes. Anything else? Yeah, I was just going to say, so the times are, you know, when we're out of system and we, we just tap the ball over, you know, two handed, you know, we come up and they tap it over. They always just do it, you know, it's within six feet of the net. I'm saying if they would tap it over harder and put it in the back line, I think that would be a step up. Yeah. So that was we'll, work, we'll work on it. <laughs> yeah, Alan, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Scott? Well, since you know, Ellie Holtzman was brought up before the break, um, just as if she's able to come back healthy again next fall, what difference could she make? Because she had a, a good start to your COVID season before the knee injury, and just what kind of – what kind of addition would that be back into the rotation? Yeah, I think, you know, when I recruited her, it was really about her mentality. And, uh, you know, she was, was Gatorade Player of the Year uh, uh, in the country for when, when she was a senior. And so a lot of that was she won four state titles and um, her she had gotten her club team to, to you know, approve and, and finish beyond where they ever uh, – where, wherever they finished – and uh, for me, it was about her mentality. I went to—I remember going to her practice in in Louisiana. It's not volleyball's not the greatest there, but she was just getting after every single rep, every single play. And those are the kind of players that you want. And so it's that mentality that that we really liked about her, and um, that—that's what she would bring to the to the table. There, as I keep cutting out. Um, but uh, she's got a big arm, and uh, she's a really smart player. And so you always want that in your players, and they'll she'll send it to the back line. I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> Coach, there was talk pre-COVID about building a fancy new stadium not far from here. I know that's kind of gone in the back burner, but what been, I don't think we've ever asked you about your thoughts about playing somewhere other than Huff. Obviously, Huff is great. Yeah, but, can, but, can, but, I, can I answer this for him? Because I think I know what he's going to say. I'll, I'll play anywhere, anytime. Yeah. Any, well, I get that I part. Will, I will, yeah. I get that part. But I, think, I think the biggest thing for me with Huff is it's such a great volleyball environment that you okay. don't want to move into a place. I, I would not like to move into a place that's much bigger than what the capacity could be or what, gotcha. the, what the feeling sure. would end up being. So you have, in the last several years, you have uh, two, three gyms being built. Uh, from scratch, and and none of those capacities are over 3,500. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, and you know if you say you're going to build hockey and it's going to be six thousand seven uh, seven thousand seat arena, I'd be okay with that as long as you can make the feel like you're close to the action. Um, there's was another gym that was built in Iowa where it is a hockey arena. It's, they don't play in Carver Hawkeye anymore. They play in the Extreme Arena Hockey Arena, 
but it's a volleyball court in the middle of a hockey arena. So it's a whole bunch of space that's all around it, and it's not a great feel. Okay. So as long as we can we can build it, or I'm we like I have a you know <laughs> saying this, uh, you're but gonna, you're my, be a I'd be I, yeah, <laughs> I'd be pushing just for to have the intimate feel and to have fans that are right there because that's where all the 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 action is and that's, sure. well, that's the fun of the sport i think so as long as as, as if a stadium's built or arena's built and it has that feel i'm, I'm all good with it this is a sport that's much better in those small arenas but because you know just to the sidelines and all that kind of stuff i mean you wouldn't want to be in the 16,000 city arena yeah yeah it just right. gets tough the further yeah. back you get it gets gets tough to see the action and you don't feel quite as part of the uh, right. as the I match you. and it, you know it's the same as if you're in state farm watching basketball it's better to be in the front row than right. it is in the nosebleeds but you know the the demands a little bit more for them than us and that's fine but we just want to make sure that we have capability to have that feel not only for ourselves but for our opponents and can feel the the wrath of spike squad and the Makes networkers sense. and everyone else yeah uh, you had a, a veteran setter on, on this year's team in Diana Brown. I know you used to play the position as well. How have you seen her grow? And, and I would imagine kind of the, the sky's the limit for what she can accomplish going into next season. Yeah, I've, I've seen tremendous growth from her. She's always been a good setter in terms of she can, she can locate a ball. But uh, being a setter is a lot like being a quarterback where your decision is really split second. And it's not always just, you know, made up. It's not as easy as, oh, here's the ball and you just throw it up there. Um, there's really a lot of, you know, we have, I say we have 12 rotations, there's six rotations, but you have an offense and a defense, and you have to know there's an offensive game plan and there's a defensive game plan. You have to be able to set within that. So this year, I really saw her take it to the next level in terms of being able to game plan a little bit better and, and sticking with that game plan um, rather than just trying to, some setters will set on feel and like they don't feel good in a certain situation, so they'll do what's comfortable, as an example. And uh, it's tough to get away from that. But I think this year she did a nice job. I think the, uh, one of the matches we played at Penn State, we had this game plan. We're like, okay, hey, we're sticking with it. And if it doesn't look pretty, we're sticking with it because they don't really change this one thing that they do. And so she stuck with it, and she was setting these balls from all over the place. And uh, we had a really good match, and that was one of our marquee wins this year. Another couple of minutes with Chris Thomas, the Illinois women's volleyball coach. Talk a little bit about the future, uh, the recruiting, how it's going, who you've got signed coming in. Yeah, so recruiting's good. You know, COVID, it was a true uh, COVID year of recruiting. We had everything lined up, kids to come to camp, everything else, and then COVID hit, and you can't do camps anymore. We couldn't go out and evaluate. So um, the two that we do have coming in, we do we were able to evaluate live before COVID hit. Uh, Kari Baum is, is the first one. She's out of Michigan, 6'4", middle opposite. Um, and uh, she's great, great. She jokes she's a libero. She actually wears a libero T-shirt, <laughs> but she is not. Um, and uh, she does, uh, she's just a, a great kid, and that's what we look to. And it's not, for me, it's not just about the sport. I, of course, they have to be good at volleyball, but we're in the gym a lot with them. We talk about with our family. I'm probably in the gym more around my players more than I am with my own family. So, uh, but she's just a really good kid. And another one, uh, uh, Sophie Stevenson out of Seattle, Washington. Uh, another kid that we saw one time and then just had a lot of good, really good conversations with her. And, um, you know, these, these kids are throwing up their, their videos on Instagram and stuff like that. And just every day she would put, here's my training video. Here's what I do. Here's what I'm doing this today. And she'd be spending hours and hours in the gym on her own, uh, you know, during COVID. And that's, that says a lot about their, the, the workmanship and what, they're, what kind of uh, work they're going to put when they get here. Well, Kari comes from the same club program as Ali Bastianelli is. Is that a difference? You know, maybe knowing that they've produced a one of the all-time blocks leader in Illinois 
program history? Yeah, they, it helps. You know, you want to keep those relationships going, and you're not going to recruit a kid just because you want to keep the relationship going. But, you know, it does help that you do have that, and you're able to have a, a direct alumni uh, being able to, if they have a question for them, if they're able to answer that and say, well, the Illinois staff is really good at this, this, and this, and this is where they took me. And so, of course, we're always going to try to, uh, keep those relationships up, and I think that definitely helped in this case. Do you mention every time you're talking to a recruit and say, "Hey, did you did you watch the Summer Olympics in Tokyo? Did you recognize, you know, Jordan Poulter and Michelle Barsh?" Yes, we do. Aaron- <laughs> 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 what's what's that been like? Uh, just seeing not only the relationship you have with Jordan and having coached her, but seeing what they went through in Tokyo. And I know they were back earlier this season, but just kind of. Spreading the goodwill of, of Illinois volleyball. Yeah, I think it's great. And, and not only that, and you had Aaron Virtue, who was a coach for the team, too. And um, and I think it's just good just to show it's, you know, Illinois volleyball isn't just, you know, about the, the staff that's there at that moment. This spans over generations. And, and uh, it's just really good to have that, that there's something special about this place specifically that can get you to that level. And... Uh, I, I think it's great because we got the community support. They got, you know, the, it's going to be ultimately them that have the drive to do it. But you have everything that you need here to be great, and I, that's what we tell them. And and uh, we, my wife and I, uh, her more than me, uh, has experience with USA volleyball and how that all works. And and we help, you know, we still talk with Jordan about her professional seasons and everything else. And uh, so it's just it's good to have that in your back pocket. But uh, yeah, that's it's uh, good to have. Yes. So what happens now? What happens uh, as far as training and such for the team? Uh, how much can you work with them during the offseason? Uh, right now, they, they go back home. They, they're finishing up finals this week, and uh, they'll be done at, on Friday, just like everyone else. And then they'll go home, and we tell them just to relax for a little bit. So we, we end up coming back at the start of the season uh, or the start of the school year, and we, we still have to satisfy a certain number of days off from their uh, their calendar, just it's a NCAA thing. And so we usually take another week off after that first week at school, and then we get back into it the 1st of February, uh, individual trainings, and then uh, we have six weeks of team trainings in, there we go, is that better? Six weeks of team training in the spring, and we have spring competition and, and everything else. So we, we take a little bit of time off, uh, tell them to take a step away, take a breather, we'll get back it in February, and then it pretty much goes from February all the way till season again because they come back for summer school. They train on their own in the summers. We don't have summer training, but they do captain's practices, and uh, they, they know where they want to be, and they know they got to work. they got to be here and work. So uh, it's been good to have. Well, congratulations on the career win number 100 that you picked up there towards the end of the season. That's a, that's a nice accomplishment as well. The big question is, is there any food left for you over there? Nope. Uh, the she family? says nope. <laughs> Or chicken tenders. Yeah. You're going to have to make uh, place your own order. But, Chris, thanks for taking time with us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, thank thanks, you, guys. Appreciate thanks, it. Chris. That's Chris Thomas. We'll take a break, and the guys and I will be back with uh, some more talk. We'll talk about that basketball game over the weekend and what's ahead as well. Here on Monday Night Sports Talk of the Esquire. Stay with us. Welcome back to Monday Night Sports Talk at the Esquire in downtown Champaign. Steve Keller with you. Bob Ospesson is here. Scott Ritchie, Matt Daniels, Ed Bond. Thanks to Chris Thomas for spending some time with us. Let's talk a little hoops. Mr. Ritchie, what do you say? That was a heck of a basketball game, a good atmosphere at the State Farm Center. And uh, finals week is uh, with us, so the team will be going through some of that. But let's look back to Saturday. That was, as I mentioned, 
one of the better atmospheres that I've seen in years. Yeah, and I mean, I think the last comparable game was the Iowa game at the end of the 2019-20 season. But I would argue that Saturday was was louder mm-hmm. um, and just more charged. Uh, and the basketball itself was was really good I mean, for 39 and a half minutes. Um, but I mean, Arizona's a legitimate top 10 team, has a couple pros. And you know, because Trent Frazier and Alfonso Plummer hit 12 three-pointers between them, Illinois stayed in that game when, you know, you know Kofi you know, struggled against uh, Christian Coloco, seven one and more athletic, longer, and probably a better defender than he'd faced all year. Because um, Kofi's not going to go five of fifteen from the floor uh, every game. I mean, that's he's much more efficient than that. But when he was having an off night, the other guys stepped up, and you know, Jacob Grandison was in that mix as well. Uh, and that's it. Those are the only four guys that actually scored. Um, so I just there were some mistakes late, uh, including on the defensive end. You know, Kirk Creesa, Benedict Mathurin kind of got whatever shots they wanted and this kind of alternated back and forth depending on which one Trent Frazier was guarding because he was really the only one that could stop either of them. And then, you know, an unfortunate turnover that decided the game, really. And that's uh, – you know, Brett Underwood said that was on him, that Alfonso Plummer didn't – know the there was a five second violation rule for being closely guarded just holding the ball and maybe his teammates because they're running a play and he was waiting for you know the play to kind of take shape and maybe his teammates could have picked it up a notch and got going but uh the fact that that was the the clincher is just a kind of a rough look well (laughs) time was of the essence at that point and so yeah it, it could have been those guys needed to move a little faster to get that play started yeah, and down by what? Three at the time. Down by three, and I mean the way that they were shooting the ball, could have been a tie game very easily, and they just didn't get that opportunity, um, and just I couldn't believe that it happened in the moment. Still can't really. A couple of days later, and it's just I guess a learning experience for everyone involved. That, that that's a rule, and it cost you in that game. But Illinois should have had a bigger lead at the earlier in the game. They. They had an area there in the first half. They're up by what th- by 13, and that dwindled down to four. It should have been like 10 and a half, and that would have been a different game. I think the T on Demonte uh, Williams hurt the team badly, but I think there was other things, not just that. There were a bunch of plays that hurt them. They missed bunnies. They missed make shots they make normally. And Scott pointed out four people scoring. That's not, you can't do that. That's, you're not going to win many games with four people putting points in. They saw all score 30. I don't know if you spent any time looking back at the last time that only four players scored, but uh, I thought about doing that and didn't do it, <laughs> but I'm sure you'd have to go back a ways. Yeah, I mean, just it just doesn't happen. No. I mean, and I didn't look back as, I mean, at that Ted point. Beach era. Go back to Ted <laughs> Beach. No, those guys scored, so it wouldn't have been any other. It's probably the 20s. Points. Um yeah, it's, I mean, Coleman Hawkins had a probably his worst game of the season. You know, DeMonte Williams offensively has kind of regressed back to DeMonte from his, at least on that end, from his freshman, sophomore, two-thirds of his junior year. Just not shooting it as well. I mean, his role has changed just as they've tried to figure out lineups with guys in and out uh, with illness and injury. But uh, those two, you, kind of counting on them to score a couple buckets, you'd think. And uh, freshman off the bench – had a tough time, I mean, but 
yep. Arizona's wings. I mean, Benedict Mathurin is going to be a first-round draft pick. Maybe, I mean, the way he played Saturday, a lottery pick. And uh, so that was kind of tough sledding. But uh, Elmo's played good basketball over the last six games. I mean, they won the five previews before that. But they're just not quite to great. Arizona's playing great basketball at this point of the season. So the potential is there. I think, you know, Andre Corbello's return whenever that may be, and there is really no clear answer on that. That'll help. And I know there's some people on social media mostly that they're like, yeah, they don't need Corbello. That's, yeah, they're fine without him. I mean, those people are wrong, and they can just <laughs> be, sit there and be wrong in their wrongness. Like, he will, he, he will be a difference maker uh, just in terms of having maybe a point guard that can beat a press or, you know, get the ball to Kofi Coburn because that's, that's been an issue at times, just simply getting Kofi the ball in the post. And Andre Corbello and Kofi developed a really good connection last year, and that'll put them potentially you know, back into the, the national conversation where they're, they're just on the outside looking in right now. Bob, is uh, Illinois soft? Well, no. I, I think the coach was trying to drive home a point. He want, they Softness. Won't be, they won't be soft next game. All caps. They'll be, next game will be. You did what he said. We did, didn't exactly. You? <laughs> we just followed coach's orders. So. Right. He. Uh, no, he's trying to make a point and was pretty it, public in, about in it. Your, in your career, Bob, is that a good thing, bad thing when a coach oh, I think it's, it's, goes off? I mean, we'd love it. We'd love it. That's <laughs> the reality. But I, I think internally, they, he probably said some of, the, some of those things were worse with them. Bleep, bleep, bleep. Oh, soft, yes. Soft, I'm sure that bleep, was crazy. Bleep. Yes, I'm sure that was very loud and very crazy. But guys expect that. Guys want to be coached. But guys want to be told what they're doing wrong. And he had some good points. And I think I don't mind coaches going publicly, publicly critical on their, on their players with the idea, of course, remember these guys are still amateurs, technically, mm-hmm. and they're still in college. You know, it's different between Bill Belichick going crazy and Brad Underwood, to me. Uh, I think it's – but the, I'm sure in, internally yelled at him a lot, said some bad words. Also, probably loved them up too later, so it's, it's fine. Coaches have to do that sometimes just to kind of drive home point and let people know, hey, we're trying. We, I recognize the problems here. Well, I mean, it's not the first time he's – question his no. team's toughness this year and just from talking with like Kofi Coburn and Trent Frazier like they understand the purpose of him saying those things he's challenging of course them. and they, yeah. they don't take offense to it and but in the Arizona game the, the context of being soft you know Illinois turned it over 16 times 10 of those were just steals Arizona just took their ball nothing well Can't do that. it's one of the things that upsets Brett Underwood maybe the most not rebounding being up there as well and then defensively Illinois just couldn't stop Arizona's guards in the second half and you know choosing to play tough defense I mean it is a choice like you got to be skilled and got to be you know athletic but you also have to choose to defend hard and uh, Trent Frazier did and I don't know about all of his teammates I think coach Underwood looked frustrated more so than I've ever seen him this year in that game he looked very frustrated like he couldn't get the point across and it was that was tough I'm sure on him and again, he addressed the post game both with his players, not. But I think that's one of those things that, as a coach, you got to learn what your team can take, what your team can't take. This team, they've heard some things. They'll they'll be fine. And they'll bounce back. Unfortunately, they don't have a game that we're going to say is really a test until what Purdue, I guess, right? Michigan, maybe. Michigan, eh, the animosity. Purdue. 
Purdue. Minnesota on the road. Yeah. 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 Hey, don't, you can't more. overlook St. Francis. Yeah. What's, their, they, what's they their nickname? The Scott? Red Flash. The Red Flash. Or Missouri. Fun fact, yeah, if no. you're ever at a party with Scott Ritchie and you need a party trick, Scott can recite every nickname of every Division One basketball team. I kid you not. Yeah, uh, 358 at this point. St. Thomas. The Tommies. Come on, Bob. <laughs> it's easy, G- yeah. Give me a hard one. Uh, it's uh, Omaha. I know that one. The Mavericks. Yeah. It, it's the uh, useless stuff that's in my brain. Wagner. Uh, they are the Seahawks. I think the Power uh, East Tennessee State. Uh, Buccaneers. Buccaneers, yeah. I know that one. Wofford. Terriers. It's too easy. Yeah. Are we going to do this All with right. a show? Yeah, why not? It fills time. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. Stupid Party Tricks by Scott Ritchie. Uh, Tarleton State. Uh, that they're the Texans. Really? Yeah. That's See, bad. you could just lie. <laughs> we wouldn't know. Because like, says, who's gonna, who's gonna the, know the, the Tarleton State? Of course, it's the right. Texans. But I mean, Tarleton State. That's Billy Gillespie. Got to know that one. Oh yeah, got. Billy Gillespie's still coaching. Yeah, yeah he's a Tarleton wow. State coach. Billy Clyde. Yeah. Do you want? He was awesome again? when he was here. <laughs> I don't know where we go. I don't know how we segue well, from that, Steve. I'll segue. Whatever okay. you tell me, you're ready. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. This is we're, just what Scott and I talk about We're in the done office. with Stump the Chump. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Stump the Chump. <laughs> Here I was perfect. <laughs> yeah, I know. Mr. Chump. He, he, he got through. By the Sienna, way, Ari- Sienna. Saints. Yeah. yeah that one's not Arizona, the Wildcats, <laughs> have moved up to uh, number eight. And if you missed the uh, AP rankings, they're still one of a handful of teams Still undefeated. Baylor is the new number one, getting all the first place votes. Duke, Purdue, UCLA, Gonzaga round out the top five. Michigan State is number 12. Ohio State is 15th. Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, and Minnesota receiving votes in that order. So uh, Purdue is third. I'm sorry. They're in the top five. Yeah. So that's uh, the uh, AP top 25, or at least part of it. We'll take a time out. We've got some more to discuss as well on Monday Night Sports Talk here at the Esquire on DWS. Back after this. downtown Champaign. Another three or four minutes left. I heard you, Steve. Steve Kelly, Matt Daniels, Scott Ritchie, Bob Osmussen. Not hearing anything. Got uh, signing day on Wednesday for Brett Bielema's football program.
Test one, two. There we go. I can Matthew. Hear you. Hello. A couple of minutes left on uh, the Esquire show here on Monday Night Sports Talk. Bob, football signing day coming up Wednesday. What have we got? 18 or 19 uh, expected to sign and, with and Brett Bielema? Yeah. And they're somewhere, yeah. top, I think, 10th maybe in the Big Ten right now. Again, those rankings don't mean a whole lot until the guys get here and play and do what they can do. But I, I think it's it will be one of the better classes here in a number of years because Levy Smith's classes are ranked so low. So low bar for Brett Bielema the first time, but I assume the idea is get better quickly. And he's got some ground to make up. He's lost some really good players. And as they want, they want to be better than five and seven next year. They're going to need help, need help right away. Not just Zeke's, these guys, but of course the transfer. This transfer. Well, they again. they got a big big transfer on uh, late Friday night. Uh, right. Tommy DeVito. Right. We, we promise not to call him Danny DeVito uh, as much as we can, but transfer from Syracuse. Scott, Bob, whoever wants to slug it out over. This transfer quarterback in 30 seconds. Go. Well, I mean, it's not a surprise he's from New Jersey. Uh, Tony Peterson must love quarterbacks from New Jersey because Art Sikowski, Donovan Leary, also from the Garden State. But Tony Vivito started a full season at Syracuse in 2019. He's been hurt a little bit, lost his job this past season as well. Uh, but he'll get a full spring to work you know, with Tony Peterson in the offense, learn a new offense, and we'll see what that means come fall. Trivia question for you. Tommy DeVito, also the name of one of the founding members of the Four Seasons, who just died over the weekend. That's going to take care of things. Not the same guy. Not the same guy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know if he's related either. That'd be bad. WDWS, Champagne, Urbana. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night.